Well, good morning, Mile City. My name is Maya Williams, and I am the Mile City Lion Location Director. I'm also the director of our city groups here. If you don't know what city groups are, or you do, but you're not part of one, I have some really great news for you. Sign-ups for that start today. Just a brief explanation of city groups. City groups are just small groups of people that meet in various different cities at different times and days of the week. And this is just a really, almost one of the absolute best ways to start to form community. The great thing is, is that it's people at all different levels, at different parts in their journeys, in their life, and they get together to grow and move towards God with one another. And so I just want to encourage you, if you're not part of one, to maybe take a chance and explore what being part of a city group might look like for you. Well, if this is your first time with us today, I'm so glad that you decided to take a chance on us. We are in the second week of our new series called, What Would Jesus Undo? Now, I know you're thinking, my, isn't it what would Jesus do? Like those really cool bracelets that everybody wore in the 90s that apparently are coming back, right? Those were always a little weird, though, because it felt like everybody treated those WWJD JD bracelets like a magic eight ball. Like, remember that magic eight ball? They'd shake it and they'd be like, all right, give me a decision on my really important life choice. Same thing with the bracelets, right? Like, uh, all right, I'm asking you, bracelet, what would the creator of the universe do? It was always just a little weird, right? I'm joking, right? They actually were a good reminder to kind of ask God, how would I, or how should I respond in this situation? So what would Jesus do? But what we're asking ourselves is what would Jesus undo? Do you have things that you would undo? I have a story for you, and I'm just going to set the stage. The year is 2002, and I just started dating my now beautiful, incredible wife, Jessica. Um, There she is. Look at that face. Man, what a beauty. God had a lot of favor on me when I met her. But uh, we had just started dating. And so things as far as dating went were pretty good because with Jess, I was her first boyfriend. So there was no previous experience. But I kind of had a big weight on my shoulders too because I was her first boyfriend. So I had to set the standards high. And that's exactly what I did, right? I took her on dates. We spent a lot of time together, told a lot of jokes that she laughed at, whether or not that laughter was true or not. She laughed. And so things were pretty good. And as far as I knew, right, she was feeling loved and cared for and maybe like I adored her. So things were progressing nicely. And about three months in, I invited Jess to go on a family trip with us to meet some extended family. Now, for most people, I think we know that that's a big deal, right? We're, we're taking the person we're, you know, romantically interested in to meet our family. That's a big deal. But that is nothing compared to what happened next. You see, What happened next is next level. And I definitely set a standard. A few days before the trip, I told Jess, hey, I want to have a conversation with you before we go on this trip. And so that's exactly what we did. We started talking like normal, kind of like we'd done a hundred times. And she's talking and I'm talking. And then, you know, I just started to make a point in talking. And the words that flowed out of my mouth just started flowing like a beautiful cascade of boulders. I'm breaking up with you. I don't like you anymore, and I never really did. Yeah, I said that. Can you believe that? Unbelievable. You know, thank goodness she forgave me. (laughs) I said that. But you see, the problem was I was really unsure of how I felt. My heart wasn't right. The services that I were performing, or the acts that I were performing with her, weren't true. And in turn, I was just putting on a facade and I broke my wife's heart. 
And you know, in the same way, we can do the same thing to God. So what if the songs that we are singing or the acts of service we are performing or the messages that we are preaching are actually empty gifts to God? What if they're empty? What if we have this, what if our lives are wrapped up this really good looking spiritual image on the outside, but the inside, our heart's not right. And we're offering up these empty boxes to the Lord. What would Jesus undo? That is the question. He would undo hollow or empty worship, or as we'll see in the scripture, worshiping in vain. And so we have to ask ourselves, is there any area of hollow worship in our life that Jesus would undo? But before we dive in, let me pray for us. Uh, dear God, I just thank you for this morning. Thank you for everybody watching, Lord. Thank you for bringing us together. Um, Lord, just thank you for just loving us so much that you sent your son for us and you're allowing us to be together. Lord, you're so good and we're so thankful for you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. So let's see an example of this hollow worship. So if you have a copy of the scriptures or access to it on your phone, go ahead and open, open up to Matthew uh, chapter 15. Matthew is the first book in the New Testament. And here we're going to see an, inaction, an interaction between the Pharisees and Jesus. It says, Then some of the Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Why don't they wash their hands before they eat? So this isn't exactly what you think. This isn't about physical hygiene, right? It's not uh, like saying when you're at home and your, your kids are getting ready for dinner, you're like, wash your hands, you dirty kids. Did you wash them? Wash them again, wash them again. Or maybe you're obsessed with the way your hands smell and you're like, I gotta wash them a hundred times to make sure they smell good. I'm not sure if anybody has that obsession. Definitely wasn't me. Definitely was me. Yeah, definitely was me. But the Pharisees were obsessed with something called ceremonial cleanliness ceremonial cleanliness and that's because a devout jew believed that everything fit into one of, or one of two categories right everything was either clean or unclean we had clean or unclean food clean or unclean animals clean or unclean water it was just clean or unclean everything right and you see with that the problem with the uncleanliness is that if you were unclean you were contagious that's right contagious just like having cooties in the fifth grade or corona now Maybe, yeah. So for example, if a bug touched your coffee mug, then the mug was unclean. If you touched the mug, you were unclean. If your wife touched you, she was unclean. The kids touch your wife, they're unclean. Dog touched your kids, dog's unclean. Before you know it, the grass is unclean and you can't walk anywhere, you know. So it was contagious. So we asked ourselves, what did you have to do if you were unclean? What did you have to do to get clean? Well, you had to wash your hands in a very certain, elaborate way, right? Now, these days, we've had a real focus on washing our hands. And can I just be honest? We should always have a focus on washing our hands. It's a good thing to do. But that's not how this was, right? They had a really certain way to do it. It's a very detailed way. And so the way they do is they hold their hands like this. And, you know, it wasn't washing your hands and singing the ABCs like we tell our kids to do. But they had to hold it in a certain position and use a certain amount of water. And the reason they held it in a certain position is because when they poured a certain amount of water over your hands, it would just drip down and hopefully not touch any other part of your body. But you had to make sure it didn't touch any other part of, any other part of your body because if the water, once the water touched your hands, the water became unclean. So we know the cycle, right? Then if it touched any other part of your body, then that part of the body was unclean and then you were unclean and fit to worship God. And so 
Now these, these devout Jews, they took it actually to a next level beyond that. You see, most of us say a prayer before a meal, right? We wash our hands before the meal. That's like a cleanliness thing we just kind of do. But they took it one step further. We do it before the meal. They did it before each course. So before your turkey, wash your hands. Before your salad, wash your hands. Before your dessert, wash your hands. And so on and so forth. And I'll be honest, I'd probably just be dead because I wouldn't want to do all the steps to eat my food. So that's what they would do. So after that, you were clean. If you did that, you were clean. You did all the things you were clean and fit to worship God. So these Pharisees, right, they're asking Jesus, why aren't your dudes doing this? And then Jesus just unleashes them. The way I kind of feel like it, it's like, you know when you, you got your back turned to somebody and they say something and you're like, what did you just say? That's what Jesus did. Jesus unleashes on them. He goes, you're not even loving people. You're not even treating people with respect. Your heart is not even connected to God. He says you're not even loving people. You're not even doing the second most important commandment. On the outside, you're obsessing with all these outward expressions and traditions. When on the inside, your heart's not even connected to God. You're dirty. You're unclean. And then Jesus says in verse 7, you hypocrites. And then what's next is even better, right? He pulls out a saying. He quotes the, old, old, the OG prophet Isaiah. And he says, Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. He said, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Let me say that again. He says, he says he prophesied about, he was right when he prophesied about you. you. They honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They're offering me lip service. Basically what he's saying is, what you're doing for you, that's what Jesus would undo. Hey, maybe we got a new bracelet idea, right? I mean, they're starting to come back in the style. Maybe make a, you know, what would Jesus undo bracelet? Probably not, but it feels like they probably could have used those bracelets back then. So how do they worship? How do these Pharisees worship, right? He says, they worship me in vain. Their worship isn't pleasing to me. On the outside, it looks good. But because on the inside, it's not good. It's empty. It's hollow worship. It's worship that is in vain. What would Jesus undo? He would undo an empty expression, a pretend faith, or as we see in verse 9, a fake worship, right? He says, man-made ideas that you teach as commandments from God. That's what Jesus would undo. You know, we think about these man-made commandments that these Pharisees were teaching, and it's kind of scary. You know, in today's world, we have all this information flooding in from every direction, right? And so many of these information pieces we're seeing, they're saying, this is true, this is right. But what's dangerous about that is if we don't stay close to the source, we start to drift far away. Right? It's kind of like when we're at the beach and you're in the ocean swimming, having a good time, and you haven't looked back for a while. And then when you turn around, you realize you're so far away from your stuff on the beach. Well, the same thing can happen when we don't stay close to God and we don't know the truth of his word. We start to drift. And the scary thing about drifting is it's slow. So we don't really notice it. But before you notice it, the way we're living and worshiping God, we're living and worshiping him off of man-made ideas that are nowhere close to God's ideas. We see in Matthew, right, this really great example of hollow worship, a great picture of what it is and what worshiping in vain looks like. But the question is, what is true worship then? What does that look like? True worship is our heartfelt expression of love and care and adoration and praise to God 
because of who he is and what he's done for us. And it really is something that we can continually grow in for however long that we are living on this earth. We can't outgrow it. So we're going to take a minute and talk about worship. Now when we talk about worship, most of us think about music and the songs that we sing. I mean, that's where my mind goes, maybe because I'm a musician, but we think about the music we sing and the styles that we like, right? Like, I like this style, but I don't like this style. Or maybe some of us think about the environment in which we sing. I, I just want this very quiet, serene harp playing music with a very meditative environment where other people are like heck no I want it loud I want to rock and roll right God is a God of joy and we want to sing it loud and fist pump it to the heavens woo so which one is right which one is correct for example for those of you at home I can't see you but raise your hands if you grew up with a different type of music and worship than what we sing here at Miles City Yeah, I did too, right? But just think about it. We're just a small group of people with different experiences. If you sit back, step back for a moment and think about all the different cultures, all the different people in the world, all the different environments and the creative ways to express the goodness of God to God, all the ways that we can worship God are almost infinite. I mean, I grew up with choir director guy. He was a great guy, by the way, but there was no instruments. He was just, when he was ready for the performance, he'd, 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 he'd scream back, hey, uh, sound booth guy, just go ahead and click play and the tape would play and the sound would come in and he'd start the flowing of the hands. Until my parents moved to a different church and that's where one of my best friends' dad was leading worship and he was just, for the day it felt like he was so modern. I mean, he was playing that acoustic, jumping around the stage with so much energy, rocking around. I mean, he was so crazy that he even led the Christmas, uh, the kids' Christmas special. He was like throwing candy canes at their head to make them make sure they're awake. It was really crazy. But he would do that. And so there's so many ways. I mean, I've played at churches where there was dancing. I've also played at churches where there were waving flags. Maybe you grew up at a church with a lady who played a tambourine like it was the only way to worship God and she was just shaking it like there was no tomorrow. Maybe you had tambourine lady at your church. The fact is is we can talk all day about different styles, right? Acapella versus rock and roll. Acoustic versus handbell choir. Do we sing two songs or do we sing all day? The ways are endless, so which one is right? Let's take two examples. Traditional versus charismatic. Which way is the best? Which way is right for God? Well, I have the answer. Are you ready? It feels good. It feels like, all right, here's the answer. The answer is both are right before God. Or neither is right if our hearts are not right. Example here. I just want to have a picture of my kids up here. Look at me. They're the cutest. I mean, I'll be honest. There's probably things they get away with that they shouldn't. <laughs> but they're so cute. And it's just a gift to be their dad. So, but, you know, let's just take them for example. Let's say it's Father's Day. And my kids had prepared this heartfelt, this really true heartfelt expression of how much they loved me. And they came in right in front of me hands like the Von Trapp family and Sound of Music, and they start singing this a cappella thing. And I go, no, 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 hold on, hold on. Thank you, but 
if you really want to honor me and show me how much you love me, you better have a guitar. You better have a bass guitar too. You better, and you better have drums because drums are great. You know, and one of you, honestly, one of you better be wearing skinny jeans and have your hair spiked because one of you has to be the worship leader. And if I don't see the worship leader, then it doesn't mean anything to me. Right? Or maybe they come to me, right? Maybe they do the opposite. They come to me, they prepare this thing just to touch my heart and they're just banging loud pots and pans and slapping things everywhere. And I go, no, no. If you want to honor me, if you want to do something that touches my heart, you should just have an acoustic guitar. Maybe read some words, some scripture over it. That's really what will touch my heart. See, I would never say that to them. Because if their hearts are right when they're doing it, it didn't matter whether they were banging pots and pans or they were playing an acoustic guitar, if their hearts are right. Any expression of worship is honoring to God when our hearts are connected to his, but neither are right when our hearts are not right. Hence, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. They worship in vain. You see, true worship that touches God's heart has nothing to do with the style of the music we sing or perform. It's the reflection of the condition of our heart. It's the reflection of a heart that is right with God. I'm going to say that one more time. I just, I just, I just love that. True worship isn't about, the, isn't about the style or the rendition of the music that we sing. It's about the condition of our heart from which we sing. So what would Jesus undo? He would undo hollow worship and hearts that are far from him, but acting like they're not. You see, being a Christ follower and worshiping God isn't just a hobby. If, Christ is our, if we're Christ followers and we're claiming to be that, Christ is our life. It's not, it's not a hobby. It's not, it's not a part-time shift. It's not something you pick up only on the weekends like, hey, it's the weekend. I better pick up my Jesus. It's not just something you pick up on Sunday morning on your way to church. It's not a piece of clothing you put on to look the part or a post you put on Facebook so you look good. If we are Christ followers, then Christ is our life. Therefore, worship isn't just the songs we sing. It's the life that we live. It's the life that we live. So how do we express worship? How do we do that? Well, sometimes when we worship, we bow, right? Psalm 95 says this, Come, let us bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. God is holy. God is holy, and so we kneel, right? We kneel to him. That's just what we do. Sometimes we bow and we kneel before God because he is holy in worship. Sometimes we dance in celebration and worship to God. Psalm 149.3 says this. Let's praise his name with dancing. Let's praise his name with dancing. Yeah. Well, all of us have our giftings, right? That's not mine. But even if it's not your gifting, you still have home base. It's okay. Because there's home base, right? You remember the movie Hitch? And he's got 
uh, Kevin James dancing, he's just doing this, right? It's home base. Even if you can't dance, you always got this. I feel good about that. And sometimes we actually need that slap from God, like Will Smith does, to get his back in check, right? But sometimes we praise his name and worship him with dancing. Sometimes we worship with a sacrifice of praise. Hebrews 13, 15 says this. Through Jesus, let us continually offer him a sacrifice of praise. Let us continually offer him a sacrifice of praise. What this means is that we worship him when we feel his presence. And we worship him when we don't. We worship him when we have joy. And when we're joyful. And we worship him when we low. We worship him when we are healthy. But we also worship him when we're sick. You see, we offer God a sacrifice of praise because our worship isn't based on our circumstances. It's based on his character. Our worship isn't based on the circumstances that we're in. If we're in a job that we like or we're a job that we don't like or parenting's hard or maybe you're a single parent and things are rough. Maybe you have, a, maybe you have your spouse next to you, you know, but maybe you had an argument. The thing is, is that we offer God a sacrifice praise and we don't do it in our circumstances, right? Our worship isn't based on that. Our worship is based on God's character. Our true heartfelt expression of worship is based on who Jesus is and what he has done for us. It's not our position that we're in. It's his character. So sometimes we worship him with a sacrifice of praise, right? Sometimes we do that. But daily, daily, Every day of our lives, we lay down our lives as an act of worship. Worship isn't just something we do, right? A worshiper is who we are because of who God is. I love what the Apostle Paul says here in Romans 12, 1. It says, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters. I just want to stop right there for a moment. See, he doesn't say... Therefore, I have a tiny suggestion. Like, hey, if you have time and it's not too big of an inconvenience, maybe you could just do this because of God's mercy, you know. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, I urge you in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. In response to what God has done for you and for me, the only reasonable worship is to offer a living sacrifice. And everything that we do may be glory to God because worship isn't just the songs that we're singing. It's the life that we're living. It's the life that we're living. So we're going to take a moment and we're going to see where everybody's hearts are. And I'm going to sing a song. Because if our hearts are right, my voice which can make cats and dogs scream in pain, isn't going to matter because our hearts are right, right? I'm joking. I'm joking. I'm not going to do that. I, I'm very well aware of the gifts the Lord has given me, and that's not one of them. But in all seriousness, I want us to take a moment and settle our hearts and think about who Jesus is. Jesus is the perfect son of God that God sent to earth to die in our place and take our sins so that we could have eternity with him. When we're headed towards eternal separation from God 
Because of our sin, the scriptures say that he made him who knew no sin to become sin on our behalf. On your behalf, on my behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God. He sent his one and only son to, to, to earth to take human form and to die on a cross so that he could have a relationship with us. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. In him there is hope. In him there is forgiveness. In him there is joy. In him there is redemption. In him there is unconditional love. In him there is the perfection of a father. In him there is life more abundant. There's nothing that we can do. There's nothing that we can do that is beyond the reach of Jesus. And so I want you to lift your hands for a minute. Don't worry, I know it feels weird. It's not a, it's not a charismatic thing, it's a Bible thing. I'm going to show you. In Psalm 63 it says this. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name I will lift up my hands. I will praise you as long as I live. And in your name I will lift up my hands. Now lifting our hands right in our society is pretty amazing. Because it can represent or symbolize two complete polar opposites. Right? We lift our hands sometimes when we're in our difficult place. We've got nothing left. We've given up. I've got nothing. I've got nothing. And so there's no escape and so I surrender. I surrender to you, God. I give up. Sometimes we lift our hands and surrender. But on the other end, right, sometimes we lift our hands in victory. It's a celebration. Our team won. Woo! Finally it happened. Yes! We lift our hands in victory and to celebrate something. When is the last time that you lifted your hands? Now, I get it. It's weird, right? And I'll be honest. I'm not always the hand lifter when we're singing songs. I'm more... Typically the hands in my pocket swaying back and forth type of guy. Maybe I get one of these really big rockings going on, you know. Maybe I get a yeah, power fist to the Lord. But I'm not typically a raise your hands type of guy. But let's just picture raising our hands for a moment, right? A moment, right? We lift our hands when we stretch and it feels good, right? Or let's think about uh, your kids running towards you for you to pick them up. And you outstretch your hands and you lift them up. And that represents for them that you love them. So think about your kid running, you, but running to you, but you didn't reach out. How would that make them feel? You see, our posture can often be very indicative of how we feel or where we are at. For me, I remember when God changed my posture. 2012, four kids changed my career to be a firefighter. I went through all the training and the courses, and that all went really well. But I couldn't find a job. I had four kids. I tried everywhere. I tried at, I tried at Wendy's. I tried emptying garbage. People just wouldn't let me. And so it came to this moment where I was on my back looking up. And I'll tell you that sometimes we need to be put on our backs to look up. But up to that point, right, my posture, even though I was resembling or my life would be reflective of like, yeah, oh, he loves God. He totally trusts God with his whole life. If my posture would have really been shown, it would have been like this. Or I would have had my hands in my pockets. 
But what happened at that point, we had gone through all of our savings. And I didn't know where money was going to come from for the next house payment. We were out of groceries. We maybe had two bucks in our checking account. And I tried all that I could have done in my power. And nothing was happening. And so finally I lifted my hands and I surrendered to God. I said, God, I'm tired of trying to do this. I'm, I'm doing these things and I'm saying all these things. But really I'm not trusting you, Lord. I'm not, I'm not fully loving you. And God changed that. And so I, I, at this point, I just lifted my hands. And I said, God, it's, it's, it's you. It's up to you. And God just showed off. And everybody's experience is different. But God showed off. And I had no idea how. But we kept our house for some reason. We had food for our stomachs. But what really was amazing is that my posture went from this to this. And my view of God went from this small to this big where words cannot describe how big God is. You see, the way we worship God looks like a lot of different ways. Maybe we bow, maybe we kneel, maybe we lift our hands. But oftentimes the position of our physical posture can oftentimes change the position of our spiritual posture. And so, as you're just like, Thinking about that, thinking about your posture, right? Thinking about the way you worship. We, we worship a holy God that sent his son to die for us. So sometimes maybe changing our physical posture before God, maybe that can help change our spiritual posture. Now it always doesn't have to be lifted hands, right? Maybe for you it is bowing, bowing or kneeling or dancing. Maybe it's praying. Maybe it doesn't have to be any of these physical things that we're talking about, these expressions, but maybe it's just praying. When is the last time that you prayed? When's the last time that you had a real conversation with God? Maybe the answer is never. Because for some of you, maybe this is the first time you've heard about Jesus. Or you don't have a personal relationship with God, right? But you've heard about him. And the amazing things about God. See, the amazing thing is, is that when you come before God with lifted hands, you get the surrender and you get the victory at the same time, the same moment. And the position of your posture starts to change. At the moment you lift them in surrender, you experience the victory of being loved by the creator of the universe, Jesus we lift our hands to God. If that's you and you've been feeling that little nudge and you feel like, I want that hope, the, un the unconditional love that comes from knowing the creator of the universe who died for me and loves me so much. And today you are feeling like today is your day of surrender. And today is the day that you want your posture to change. If that's you, I just want to ask you to go ahead and bow your head with me. And I'm just going to walk you through a conversation. And there's nothing magical about these words. But what these words are reflecting are the condition of our hearts. So with your head bowed, I just want you to have this conversation with God. 
said, God, I confess my sins to you. I believe that you are Jesus. You are God. Thank you for dying in my place to pay for my sin. Thank you for rising again for me. Lord, I lower my pride and surrender my life to you. Right now, I receive you, Jesus, into my life. As we continue to pray, for those of you that are watching, maybe you have, had, you have a relationship with Jesus. You surrendered your life to him, but at some point, you got far away from the source. You got far away from God. And instead of living your life surrendered to God, you started living your life by your personal preference. And in that personal preference, you started using these man-made commandments as God's commandments. And if that's you, I just want to encourage you to turn back around, to get back to the source, to get close to God. He loves you. He cares for you. And the great thing is that he's never far from you. And so you can turn around and you can run towards God. And the beautiful thing about, about Jesus is as you run back towards him, he'll lift you up. He's going to accept you because he loves you. So I just want to encourage you, you're not so far away because God is near. Just to turn around and get close to God again. God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for just the chance to talk about you. Lord, to examine our lives and our hearts and to see maybe where we need to change, Lord, where we need to give control to you, where we need to surrender. Lord, I thank you that you're, you've allowed us to just see our posture, Lord, and the position of it. Lord, and I thank you that you love us so much that your spirit, Lord, is, and you are so willing to help our position and the position of our posture change, Lord. God, you're so good. We love you so much. We thank you for the sacrifice of your son on the cross so that we could spend eternity with you. Thank you for this day, Lord, and it's in your son's name that we pray. Amen. Well, I just want to tell you, if you made that commitment today, if you chose to surrender your life to God, to change your posture, there is a celebration going on in heaven for you right now. There is a party going on. And I want to encourage you, if you made that decision today, to not just sit there by yourself and not do anything. It could be really easy to do that. But God created us to be with one another and walk alongside of each other. And so if you made that decision, I just want to encourage you to make this simple step and text the word my faith to 94,000. And what that'll do, that'll go to one of our staff members and one of our staff members will call you and we'll just walk alongside of you in this new journey of moving towards God.